This is the Interchange Recharged, a Wood Mackenzie production. I'm David Bamley. Melanie, welcome back to the Interchange. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So how are you finding the conference? Uh, what, what are some of the key takeaways and things that you're enjoying? First of all, I think the conference has been fantastic. The level of energy, the diversity of the attendees and their level of knowledge and interest at CCUS, all the way from super technical expertise to, I just want to learn about this. It might be relevant for me one day. It's great to have that variety. In terms of the panelists, I have to say I'm really impressed with all of the discussion and I would say realistic ability to talk about how challenging it's going to be to actually deploy this level of scale that we need. The fact that there's so much to define, like the business models and the degree to which companies need to work together to bring projects to commercial viability, what the role of the EPC is. There's so many important things that have to work together for us to bring CCS to its full potential. The energy around the conference has been great. It's actually more of an open and honest dialogue from the panelists and speakers and everything around what needs to be done and what the state of the market is. And you hosted a panel on CCUS and hydrogen. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how those are kind of tied together? Absolutely. And there were a couple of themes that came away that really honestly kind of blew my mind in terms of how to think about this. So one of the key things, I'll start with the difference. The dynamics are really different. Hydrogen comes in and displaces existing energy sources. CCS allows you to continue to consume those energy sources and takes away the byproduct that makes them bad in terms of the environmental impacts of what they're doing. It's CO2 is a waste product in the CCS space, so the commerciality is also really different. With hydrogen, you're producing a molecule with a commercial value. It provides energy. It provides a feedstock. With CCS, you're taking care of a waste product to make the energy sources that you're using more environmentally friendly. And so what I took away from that discussion is, you know, blue hydrogen has a value in that you're producing a product with a commercial value that you can market and sell for money. And that creates an impetus for the application of CCS in other sectors where that's more challenging to justify. So like cements, petrochemicals. So seeing blue hydrogen as a catalyst for CCS infrastructure development because of the commercial value that it's offering, and that's directly linked to the policy, to that $3 per kilogram that's available for the lowest carbon hydrogen. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing the market today? So there's so many elements of the value chain that have to come together, and they, they really need to happen around the same time. So our panelists for SoCal Gas mentioned, it's not just the development, but you need to get them all permitted. So you need the capture system, you need the pipeline, you need the sequestration site. And I think it's pretty clear that class six wells are really hard to permit and take a long time. Pipelines are harder and harder to permit. Capture systems might be a little bit faster. You need it all to be there though. That capture system has no value if the pipeline and the sequestration site isn't there if the policy doesn't support the economics of the project. So there's just a lot of pieces and moving parts that need to come together. So I think that's the biggest challenge is finding the ability to make that timeline work. We've been talking a couple times today about the collaboration, right? And, and that that's key. 
but you're not talking about just collaboration between like emitters and uh, sequestration. It's the government and policy with the permitting. And so there are so many pieces that need to come together, which makes it extremely complex. But everybody needs to be, you know, on the same page. Absolutely. And I do think there's goodwill to make that possible. I was speaking to someone during one of the breaks. They mentioned the EPA now has a two-year target for Class 6 well permitting, which is a much more reasonable timeline. If they can achieve that, if they can staff up enough to actually deliver that, that would be fantastic. We also mentioned a number of times today about the partnerships. Yeah, no, the partnerships, I, I have to say that's been what's in, unlocked the traditional fossil fuel sector in the U.S. as well. So we know that that's just a given. It de-risks the value chain. It brings together the capabilities that are needed. It allows for capital to flow more quickly. And it just creates a lot more speed in how things get developed. We saw that with gas and LNG, is particularly around all the pipeline infrastructure needed to bring gas supply to the coastline. And I see that trend being critical as well for all of the energy transition technologies. And the attendance today was, it was outstanding, right? I mean, just standing room only, you know, having to peek over shoulders to try to see what was going on. It's nice to see how that's just the journey of the energy transition, right? You, you talk about wind and, and solar and electrification, but then as you continue down the path, you have the hard to abate sectors and the technologies that are needed to address that. And it was, you know, year, 18 months ago, people were talking about CCUS, but I think what we witnessed today is actually people are now trying to action that and move it forward, which really just goes to show that there's a lot more momentum behind this. And I know I probably said it 18 months ago that the momentum's great, but it's almost like with the enthusiasm and energy today, it's a lot more exciting. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have the momentum we had 18 months ago, we wouldn't be here. So you weren't wrong about that. It does take time, though, to convince an investment committee that just to put some capital towards even seeing if this is worth a company's time. I find the most interesting thing about who is here in the buzz. These are our traditional Wood McKenzie clients, the traditional EMP and pipeline operators, the traders, the banks that have financed a lot of the infrastructure for traditional commodities. And they want to come in now and participate in these energy transition technologies. And you know what? Nobody's better suited to do that because they understand the geology. They understand how to run pipelines. They understand their customers are the emitters. So they have all the relationships and they're helping them and offering a new service for decarbonizing their operations so that they can continue to operate. I'm thrilled to see this traditional fossil fuel industry so active in this energy transition space. And I hope to see more of this momentum. And I hope we're talking in a year and talking about the momentum being even stronger than it is today. I just think, and this is my personal opinion, that eventually the industry goes to something along the lines of your traditional midstream company, right? I mean, right now it's fragmented with people that are developing the, the capture side, those that transport it via pipeline. It's fragmented, but eventually you're going to see it consolidate into providers that basically say, look, you've got the emissions, we've got you covered, and they take the whole thing. That's right. That's where we need to get to. The pieces are just starting to come together now. We have the new entrance with the technology, and then we have the players with the capital to put that into play, in addition to all the other pieces that need to come together. So I do see that consolidation as the future that you're describing, and we're just seeing those pieces starting to percolate and come together now. And events like this help with that because I saw so many 
clients that were connecting with the technology players. And, you know, I saw another client getting excited saying, you do capture and pipeline and then going and speaking with that technology player. So what you're describing, I think, is let's talk about that in 12 months. But you're right. The whole partnership, it's everybody I've talked to today, whether it's an integrated energy company, a provider of some type of technology, they're all talking about, well, you know, over here, they're partners with us. So there definitely is that collaboration that we're saying is critical to it. Yeah. And we just got to see that mature into implementation and commerciality and growth of that capability to scale. Melody, thank you so much. It was great having you on again today. Thank you. And you're welcome back anytime. Thanks so much, David. Glad to be here. Brandon Rombarek is Vice President, Oil and Gas Measurement Solutions at Emerson Automated Solutions. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you do for Emerson. Yeah, so I look after the upstream and midstream space as part of our industry marketing group. And really my goal is to apply our measurement solutions and instrumentation portfolio to help our customers solve the challenges that they face every day. So that's everything from our flow measurement products to pressure, temperature, level, analytical, and the solutions and services that go along with all of those products. And you were on a panel discussion earlier today. Tell us some of the key takeaways from that. Yeah, sure. So that's right. I spoke on a panel that really focused around policy, especially here in the U.S., and how that's supporting the investment and helping projects hit the ground in the carbon capture space. And we talked a lot about what's going to happen after that policy expires, if it does. How are we going to help to bring the the cost of the technology down to ensure that carbon capture becomes a reality? And some of the takeaways really centered around collaboration and bringing together folks at events like this today here where they can exchange ideas and really try to standardize on options to make the rubber hit the road. And what are your thoughts on what what maybe more could be done from a policy standpoint to help this initiative? Yeah, certainly. So if you look at things like the IRA here in the U.S., certainly a lot of fiscal momentum around helping to make projects a little bit more economic and some political direction to stand behind carbon capture as a whole. But that's kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of implementation. There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty around how certain things are going to be regulated, how certain things are going to be standardized and what the standards and bodies are that really get around driving regulation and and uncertainty in the domain. So I think just some clarity on some things to help us hit the ground running, that that's one thing that we need. And then just the trust that there's a lot of good experience and expertise in the, the domain areas that support carbon capture. There was a presentation earlier this morning that had a chart that showed various countries and where they are in terms of the policy, regulatory environment. And even with your earlier comment, the U.S. and Canada are actually farther along than really anybody else, which really presents an opportunity to be a leader in the space. Do you see that continuing? I'm kind of taking that mantle and saying, we're going to run with it. We're going to lead the CCUS U.S. space, particularly for, I guess I'll say U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I think uh, especially if you look at the approach that we've taken here in the U.S., where it's a little bit more of a carrot than a stick, and there's a bit of an enticement there or a a reward in terms of some of the tax credits that show up in the IRA. And that's really pushing industry and the economy as a whole to go tackle these solutions. And I think that's probably the, the better approach of the two. I mean, mandates certainly get folks moving, but, you know, there needs to be a little bit more impetus and ownership from industry behind that to get things off the ground. So yeah, I certainly think that there's been a major shift in the past year, year and a half here, 
where we are leading this industry. And then if you look at the technical capability of what we have here in the U.S., just in terms of, say, storage resources, we've got a technical ability to lead this space as well. So I think that's good news. In the broader landscape of the energy transition, I mean, there's not necessarily low-hanging fruit, but there's been so much focus on wind and solar and storage that the discussion really seems to be heating up around CCUS because it really tackles those hard to abate sectors. Absolutely. And things that if you want to achieve the targets, you can't rely on just the, the electrification. There needs to be more. And so it just seems to be a much more buzz around CCUS these days. And what are your thoughts on the future of CCUS? Maybe looking 10, 15 years down the road. Yeah, certainly. I mean, my view is that it's quite simple. If you look at the net zero outlooks and forecasts that a lot of the world's agencies have put together, we can't get there without things like CCUS that pull carbon out of the atmosphere. I mean, we can push renewables as hard as we want, but we're still going to miss a critical piece of trying to make that equation balance. So I think it's here to stay. I think we've got, for example, like you mentioned here in the U.S., a great tax incentive scheme to help us pull cost out over that next decade or so. And from there, it's up to industry to make it sort of stand up and live on its own. And so I think we're in for the long term and we're happy to help support our customers and industry as they tackle this uh, endeavor. And so absent kind of the policy discussion, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing CCUS and the ability to scale? Sure. So you know, for us, I think we try to look at the CCUS value chain as a whole, from the emitters on the front end to the sequestration point on the back end, and then everything in between in terms of that transport network. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is really connecting the dots from these emission sources that might be completely remote or that might not on their own have the economy of scale to justify going and attacking and trying to capture carbon at that point or the sequestration sites that may be isolated themselves or maybe buried between and below different ownership rights or, or things of that nature. And so we really have an ability to play at every step in that value chain and trying to work with our customers and the industry to think ahead about what's coming down the pipeline, no pun intended, but you know, making that connection from A to B, looking at things like, hey, this is gonna be a, a fiscal environment where you're gonna have a changing of hands of who produces the carbon to who eventually sequesters it and money moving back and forth. It's a pretty big thing to tackle. And it seems like from a technology standpoint, I mean, we kind of know how to the transport and, and the storage where we really need to see a lot of the advancement, I think we're maybe, you know, focus is on the actual capture technology to make sure we're capturing as much as we, we can. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think that, and then just connecting the dots across that value chain. But certainly on the capture side, you know, uh, there was a chart shown today and, you know, it gets circulated in the industry of the various capture costs for the different types of operations out there, the different applications, right? And there's some low hanging fruit for us to go tackle, but that's only gonna get us so far. And so it's up to that technology to develop and to get more efficient and smarter and be able to go tackle those harder, you know, lower concentration of CO2, for example, or stranded resources or things of that nature. So we can kind of put the whole piece of the pie together and make some meaningful change. On the conference today, what are some of the, the most interesting or thoughtful things that you've heard? Yeah, I think that some of the things that we've heard are just some of the agreement around things on implementation challenges we're facing as an industry as a whole. Obviously, cost comes up quite a bit, and 
you know, we tend to try to identify different applications along this cost curve, but there's a realization there's a pretty big error band there on each of those different applications. And so I think just debating that and discussing it a little bit, we've talked a lot about policy and maybe some of those additional mechanisms that need to be considered to make the policy more robust and more supportive of what we're trying to do. So those are a couple of the themes that have sort of showed up around the coffee and, and things. Yeah, one of the discussions had you know earlier was we shouldn't be waiting for policy or tax incentives because by waiting longer, you know, it can have unintended consequences in that regard. And, and looking around the room, standing room only. <laughs> right. You know, people understood, hey, we can't wait for this. We're all very interested in moving this forward. And the action you know, really needs to happen now. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think there's an advantage from a corporate perspective and especially in a, an economy where we're in an environment where there's premiums that can show up in terms of actual enterprise value. So those that get out in front, I think they're going to see this paid back over time. And those that wait, you know, they, they may find themselves in a better position from a policy perspective, but on the whole may find that they're viewed as, as laggards in the space. Only time will tell, though. And one of the expectations was cost decline over the years. What do you think are the key drivers of that cost decline going forward? Sure, there's a couple of them. I think one is, is really standardization around technology and around regulation. If everybody's out there trying to do everything in their new creative way and we're not sharing information and sort of zeroing in on best practices, that's just gonna add to inefficiency. So I think things like collaboration, and we're seeing and have heard about many partnerships here today at the conference where folks are zeroing in on, hey, I can do this well and I can bring this to the table. And if you can bring this to the table, you know, we can be more effective and efficient. So I think those are some of the things that we're going to have to do to really bring that cost curve down. And do you see eventually the industry being dominated by bigger players? Or do you think it's going to be one that has ability to participate from, from multiple companies of various sizes? Yeah, I mean, I think the industry is still in its early stages and it's a bit nascent right now. So it's probably too hard to, to place those bets quite yet. Obviously, some companies that are larger have economies of scale that they can deploy immediately today. But I think we've also seen that there are some, some niche assets that some other companies can bring to the table, whether that's capture technology or whether that's across the transport network or maybe that's you know acreage that they hold or things of that nature so i think it's a bit too early to tell and and i'm excited to watch how it develops over the next couple of years so emerson's a gold sponsor of the event thank you appreciate uh, the support sure why do you think it's important for companies like yourselves to sponsor these types of events yeah, well, I, I've touched on a, earlier in our remarks here a bit, the fact that we value the collaboration. And I think, you know, providing the ability for folks like Woodmac to stand up an event where we can get together and debate and discuss these topics, I mean, that takes sponsorship in a way, right? And so I think that's why we're committed to being a sponsor here. And we also want to bring people to the, the event that we can engage with and help share some of our history and some of the expertise we can bring to these solutions. And so... That's why we're here. I couldn't agree more. Like I was saying earlier, the attendance here, standing room only, it's just a sign of that. So it's, it's definitely great to see. Well, Brandon, listen, I appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us and I appreciate the discussion. All right, thanks for having me, appreciate it. Carl Fortin is Global Business Manager, Carbon Capture and Storage at ExxonMobil, Low Carbon Solutions. He sat down for a fireside chat around developing a robust CCUS portfolio. He joins me now to tell us more about it. 
So with Vari, we were talking about ExxonMobil's role and the importance of large integrated oil and gas companies, for example, such as ExxonMobil, having a particularly important role to bring certainty to a value chain that's trying to form, a market that's trying to form. And we think we can bring a lot of value in that space. What do you see as some of the key contributors on why Exxon is participating in, in this industry? So about two years ago, we started our low carbon solutions business. We really have two primary objectives. We're really about decarbonizing our own assets uh, across our global footprint, but also our ambition is to, uh, to serve others in decarbonizing their assets as well. So we have a long history of oil and gas related participation in the carbon capture and storage arena. So we have assets around the world, ventures we participated in, our own assets in Wyoming. We've done quite a bit of carbon capture. We have the largest carbon capture facility in the world in Wyoming, seven MTA with another one MTA on the way. So we think the uh, skills that this has brought us through development of carbon capture and injectivity, you know, both for EOR as well as for permanent storage, really sets ourselves up to serve an important role to uh, lead in this space. And what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and hurdles moving forward? I think when you look at the hurdles, I mean, we're really way behind as a society in trying to get to the pace necessary to meet our ambitions as a society for decarbonization. So the, the hurdles really are a couple ways. If you think about it, what society hasn't yet done while there's an intrinsic need and recognition for decarbonizing, is that translation over into the value chain so that every step, every element in the value chain is incentivized to take action and to be able to, to put a whole chain together from emitter all the way to storage. And so that's a combination of getting to demand and supply factors. If you think about it on the demand side, good policy is a good place to start. It starts with government carrots and sticks, but really we have to transition to a market-oriented willingness to pay where the customer, the ultimate end user of the article, is willing to pay a premium for that decarbonized version. So that's going to be an important element so that it becomes a self-funding value chain that is investable and bankable. Secondly, I'd say on the supply side, it's about getting the overall system cost down. And that can be achieved with continued technology improvements, with an extensive infrastructure that will grow over time, and really getting to a cost structure that brings scale, such as what a hub would do in, in a particular geography. So those are some of the challenges. Policy around the world is fragmented, so it's a challenge. You have to really be uh, receptive to different business models that can help unlock that. And as ExxonMobil, we're promoting you know, different constructs and ways to construct policy where it's most supportive to help establish those early value chains. And then we as ExxonMobil want to get out there where policy is supportive and we'll start building some momentum. It, small projects at first, targeting higher concentration. You know, what we've announced already in the U.S. Gulf Coast are pretty significant. And so we've got three projects over the last year that we've announced. These are definitive agreements, FID type projects. And it started with CF Industries late last year. So a 2 million ton per year TNS, so transportation and storage opportunity to help that large ammonia player. Lindy, we've got another 2.2 MTA of CO2 that we're going to transport and store. So that's for industrial gas. And then Nucor, 0.8 MTA for one of North America's largest steel producers. So we're able to penetrate multiple sectors with our approach. We're looking forward to doing even more, starting with the U.S. Gulf Coast, where a lot of those factors and enablers are coming together. As you're coming into these initial projects, how are you looking at the return analysis on them, given kind of the newness of, of the market? 
Well, it is a challenge. The $50 to $85 increase in the IRA is definitely helpful, and that's opened up some opportunities. You see a lot of projects that have gotten announced, including ours. We need to see an attractive return to make this economic and attract capital within our own corporate portfolio. So that's an ongoing challenge. So it's a little bit why things are not as fast as you'd like to see the build out of the market, but we are optimistic we're gonna make more and more headway, especially as you, as you have certain industries, certain sectors that are indicating a potential willingness to push some of those premiums into their products, maybe push some of those costs through and that'll open up some more degrees of freedom. You know, to your earlier point about kind of being fragmented and pulling all those pieces together, do you expect then in order kind of really to make this scalable that eventually you're looking at large organizations that cover all aspects and take that all in-house or having it divvied up across the value chain? So for example, you know, somebody doing capture versus somebody doing transport and then somebody doing storage, just having kind of one service for everyone. Yeah, we see the value that we can bring as ExxonMobil is about providing integrated solutions for a customer so that we take that hassle factor away from them. We're able to navigate those interfaces between capture, transport, and storage and make that all seamless. So the customer doesn't have to figure out how to bridge the various risk terms or financial terms that they otherwise would have to negotiate between the various parties. So we see ourselves as integrating all that together and then facilitating across the whole value chain, bringing in partners as appropriate. And so, for example, our partnership that we announced with Mitsubishi Heavy Industries on carbon capture. So where we have liquid aiming opportunities, we're going to deploy their technology in integrated solutions. So the customer is benefiting by getting not just the technology, but it integrated from an operator viewpoint, which is what we also provide, and be able to participate in the EPC if they have interest in getting that from MHI. And then they have the full rest of the chain with transport storage from ExxonMobil. So they can come to us and get that full suite of offerings. And we think that's going to provide a lot of interest to the customer. I think you've probably touched on some of this, but absent areas where there's a favorable policy environment and attractive returns, what are some of the key things that you look at to move these projects forward to FID or even some of the partnerships? Well, if they're not financially attractive, the reality is they won't move. So there are several on the monitor and watch for policy evolution. We have a very active policy and advocacy group within our low carbon solutions group to help advise on various governments and policymakers to make informed choices. We really, I think for societal benefit, there's active interest in hearing the voice of, for example, ExxonMobil and trying to put these deals together. Here's what it would take to make it easier. So we're actively trying to influence and shape policy to be helpful to achieve those objectives. But the reality is until those projects are economic, it's going to be challenged. And, and we're gonna keep looking for opportunities to think differently and creatively and maybe consider a neighboring emitter to get some scale in the absence of where it just otherwise wouldn't work. But we have to be very selective because these returns ultimately have to be at a level that they're self-sustaining. So they attract the appropriate attention and CapEx versus uh, other global opportunities for a corporation. And how do you see CCUS market in 20 years? I mean, it obviously plays a big role in these hard to abate sectors going forward. But when you kind of look forward to it and, and you see advancements in policy, making it more favorable, seeing the benefits of these integrated solutions, how do you just see that impacting the overall energy transition at that point? 
So I think we're going to go through these phases. As we say internally, we're going from zero to one right now, you know, from nothing to something. We're creating a market where there's nothing. It will gradually build out. It'll move from point to point, you know, emissions addressing to more of the hub concepts. We already see indications of across different parts of the world interest to create those hubs from the start. But more of that will form and they'll get more into networks and, and more alternatives with competing ways to decarbonize, not just electrification, but looking at low carbon intensity hydrogen, for example. So the more that is available in different areas, that could be part of the mix of how do you address some of these hard to invade industries. And looking across kind of integrated solution we talked about, what's your view on the advancements of the capture technology? Because right, that seems to be kind of the key to this that needs to come a little bit further along. We've got people that understand the transport and the storage, but that capture technology is really going to be critical. And how do you think that's advanced and, and do you think it's, it's moving fast enough? Yeah, capture technology cost is, is definitely an important piece. The way we think about it, you know, our interest is in serving the broader industrial and power gen market. Those emissions across the various sectors and industries are different, and they have different concentrations. They have different features and contaminants, and, and so how to address each one is possibly a different solution. So our, our ambition is not to have just one technology and promote that, but to have really a suite of technologies that can be applied and deployed in a smart and cost-effective way so that we have viable, economic, long-term solutions that the customer's going to be happy with. So we think that's all very um, essential to do it. And part of how we get to the next step, because this is, um, the goalposts keep moving. So we fully expect as more and more interest to get into the capture space, develop lower cost solutions, a lot of pressure to find innovation. And we have a role to play as well, both with internal programs to try to identify frontier technologies. And so we're embarked on several of those as well as working with partners, alliance partners, such as the one with Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, and identifying next generation technology. So that one that I mentioned is to identify a next generation liquid amine that as a system will generate preferred attributes and a lower overall system cost. There seems to be in North America more momentum around CCUS, particularly in Canada and the US. Do you see this continuing from a global standpoint? and the U.S. and Canada being leaders and driving this initiative across the world? Or you know, do you think it's going to tend to be more regionally focused? So I think we're in a unique vantage point in North America to really take advantage and capitalize on the favorable policy that we have and the environment from a operational framework. So while there's more work to be done, it's it's a very constructive mode of operation right now. And so those early projects make sense that you're going to see some of those happen here. Canada has a lot of attractive features as well on the policy side and ambitions, particularly in where storage is available and, and accessible, and uh, particularly in the Alberta area. Other parts of the world will come. It's going to take more time. I think there's a, a maturation of policy that has to happen in, in Europe. It's going to be that move from strictly mandates to ones that are more value chain oriented, that are holistic and trying to stimulate the economics. So these projects really have a reason for getting started. And then in Asia, they have the not just policy in the, the various countries that need to be uh, established, but also a supply chain where we very much have emitter countries and storage countries. And so those will be interconnected as a system with liquid CO2 movements, but then also have to be competitive versus alternative ways to decarbonize, which could be blue hydrogen or blue ammonia, for example. It's just going to come at different paces through the rest of the world, but it's helpful for projects in the U.S. to be held up as examples of, hey, it can happen, it's doable, 
And while not everybody needs a 45Q style of incentive program, it does show that with the right policy enablers in place, projects will happen. Well, Carl, listen, I appreciate your time today. Great discussion. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Tom, thanks for joining us. So tell me, what are your thoughts on the conference so far? How are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's been a really great opportunity for us to get out there and put our name around and then just be able to listen to the kind of state of the industry and what people's concerns are, what people's bottlenecks are in the industry. Yeah, so it's been really great to hear from some people in the industry. So you're with Compact Membrane Systems. So tell us a little bit more about what you do. I'm the business development lead for Compact Membrane Systems and Compact Membrane Systems is an advanced membrane company. We've actually been in operation for 30 years as a company, but the first 20 or so, 25 or so years, we had kind of smaller applications, for example, in transformer oil degassing. In the last five or six years, we've developed two product lines, one which is carbon capture and the second which is all up in paraffin. And our membrane system really has a great strong value proposition for smaller carbon capture streams such as you would find in steel or cement or um, kiln type applications. Yeah, so that's that's what we do. We just raised a Series A round about four or five months ago. So we're kind of in that next growth phase where we're building up to commercialization. Yeah, we've been talking a lot today about you know, the various aspects of carbon capture and storage. Right? I mean, you've got the capture, the transport, the storage, and, and everything that goes along with it. And it's the technology development around the capture side that's, that's really critical to this whole process. So what kind of challenges are you guys facing and are you trying to overcome as it relates to kind of the energy transition in general, but particularly on the carbon capture side. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It was actually a great comment in the earlier panel session. I think it was Chris Powers with Chevron, who Chevron are actually one of our investors, who mentioned that for him, it was the capture side, which he saw the, the most opportunity for cost reduction and the most opportunity for next generation technology to come along and kind of uh, lower the cost of capture. And so, yeah, we certainly see that as being an area where we can have an influence and we're an area where we can actually make a difference over the next five to six years. What are some of the biggest challenges that you think the industry is facing right now? Yeah, I mean, there were some really great sessions there in this afternoon, which, which I was able to listen in on there, where they were talking about, yeah, just the kind of cost of capture and the kind of incentives and the regulatory structure. And I think, yeah, those kind of economic drivers are are going to be important to making more of these projects uh, go ahead. And then, then obviously a lot of these projects too are dependent on uh, permitting. And we certainly hear that as a common topic from today is timeframes for regulatory and uncertainty around that. You know, one of the slides earlier today had the policy environment for different countries and U.S. and Canada were, were by far the leaders. I mean, how are you seeing that overall environment for what you're trying to do? I mean, is it Obviously, it's changing a little bit, but do you think it's moving at the right pace because you bring up permitting? There's a lot of different aspects to policy, but do you think it's it's continuing to move aggressively enough or do you think more needs to be done? Really great question. I think we've seen some really positive developments that are moving in the right direction with things like the IRA and some of the things that the Canadians and the Europeans are doing. We'd obviously love to see these things go faster and show some more firm commitments over those longer timeframes. Yes, of course, we'd like to see more of that, but things have definitely been moving the, in the right direction. And you mentioned Chevron being an investor. Partnerships are going to be key, I think, to this going forward. But how are you finding that collaboration? Are you, are you finding people that typically wouldn't necessarily be partners in something coming together in a joint effort for this? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's great for us to have the likes of Chevron and Technip as well on board, who obviously are very established in the industry as well and recognize name. 
So I think that, yeah, bringing those recognized names and people that are experienced in bringing these large projects and developing technology, I think it's really great for us to see that those kind of partnerships developing. But it's not just on, on the emitter side, on the engineering side, there's a whole range of partnerships that we could be looking at here, utilization including as well. So it's a really interesting area right now to see everybody kind of trying to build these partnerships at the same time. And when you're talking to your customers, what are some of the biggest questions or things that they're trying to achieve that you can help them out with? For us, one of our key advantages is that we have a very low energy intensity. The facilitated transport mechanism, which is what our membranes utilize, basically uses chemicals embedded in the membrane itself to facilitate the transports of the carbon dioxide across the membrane. And that allows you to lower your operating costs by operating at lower pressure. Also allows you to reduce your capital costs as well. And so a lot of the time we get questions from customers on what does that look like in terms of a cost dollar per ton? What potential poisons might have an effect? What kind of pre-treatment or post-treatment is, is required? So those are kind of common things that we hear. Membranes can be a great solution for companies with smaller streams, maybe below 600 tons per day, and the likes of steel and cement and pet chem. Those are really the kind of the industries we find the most traction with. And I kind of know the answer to this question, but I'm curious as to your thoughts and what you've seen. But with your customers over the past, call it two years, how more aggressive are they today as it relates to addressing emissions and trying to do something about it? Yeah, certainly we do find it very easy to talk to the customers. They seem very motivated at the moment across a range of industries that we that we talk to. So yeah, I'm afraid I can't sort of the, the kind of longer term part there, but yeah, anecdotally in the near term, we've, we find a lot of traction. Yeah, it seems like the, I mean, the topic just continues to become more and more prevalent, you know, from where it was 18 months ago, the discussions today, I mean, just looking at the attendance of the conference, you can tell that, okay, this is something that everybody's interested in and there's much more motivation behind addressing carbon emissions than even 18 months ago. It seems like 18 months ago there was talk about it, but I think now there's a lot more action towards it. Yeah, I'm, I've observed the same kind of things in, in the conference as well. Well, Todd, listen, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks so much. What a day that was. So many interesting panel discussions, talks, and presentations on the evolving CCUS market. I'm David Bammiller, and it's been a pleasure to bring you all the best bits from the conference if you couldn't be there in person. We'll be back with a regular edition of the show on the 27th of October, where the spotlight swings once again onto solar, and how an innovative company is helping the industry make better forecasts and long-term investments. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. See you next time.